Okay, good luck. I want to share with you tonight an incredible story. Um, the story has a story that is how I heard the story. So I'll share with you the story as I heard it and how I heard it. My colleague, Rabbi Pe'er from Chabad Persian Youth, wanted to visit uh, someone in a prison in, uh, in Florida, northern Florida. And the only ticket he could get was through Charlotte, North Carolina. He was in New York, and he was trying to get a ticket from uh, New York to Florida and to come back on the same day. And it was, it was very difficult, and he had a connecting flight in North Carolina in Charlotte. But the flight that he had got delayed. And so because it got delayed, he missed his connecting flight in uh, Charlotte. And he had to get a ticket, a ticket back to New York because he was only going, going to be in New York for one day. His family was there. He was going to go back to Los Angeles. So basically he felt like, you know, he, he went to Charlotte for no reason. And so while he was in the airport waiting for his n new flight now back to um, New York, uh, he uh, he's learning his his daily Torah, Shirim, his Chumash, his Tehillim, his Tanya, his Rambam, and as he's going through his daily classes, um, this man walks by and he says, "Tell me, is there a place to buy kosher food here in in Charlotte?" Shai Pe'er um, actually took with him a lot of food because he was planning to be on the road and drive as soon as he got to Miami to drive to Northern Florida to drive to go back. It was it was gonna be a long long trip. And therefore, he took a lot of food with him. But now that he wasn't going on this trip, he didn't eat all this food. He says, I have food for you. So uh, he gives this guy all this food. And this guy is so thankful. He's, he didn't want to accept it at first. But apparently says, listen, I, I don't really need this. I'm really going back and I don't have any use for it. And I can give all this to you. And I really, really have no use for it. So the man accepts the gift. And he rushes off to his gate. A little while later, he comes back. He said, the whatever reason, the plane was delayed, and he has some more time, and he said, I want to, you know, in tribute to the, um, your assistance to me, your kindness, um, I want to do something for you. You look like a Chabad, Chabad, you look like a Chabad Chassan. He said, yes, I am. He said, can I tell you a story about your Rebbe? That's always a good treat. So he says, yes, please. So this man's name is Rabbi Yaakov Zayed. He lives in Israel. And he said that when uh, Israel entered Lebanon, Lebanon war in the early 80s, in 1982, uh, his wife was living there with her parents. And uh, Israel uh, temporarily uh, took control of this the city they were in in uh, Lebanon. Um, I'm going to give a Ashkenazi mispronunciation of the city, Bahamdun. And when Israel came in, one of the soldiers, uh, actually, as I was looked at the story and I found a lot online about the story. It's incredible uh, what actually happened over there. One, one of the soldiers' names was uh, Baruch Marzel. Baruch Marzel is someone who's very dedicated to protecting the Jewish people, especially in Hebron. And Baruch Marzel was part of this group of soldiers that entered into Lebanon in Mimik Sashal Magalil in 1982. And when he got, arrived there, there was a camera that the soldiers, the IDF was using, and it broke. And so he wanted to go into a local store to, uh, to fix the camera. 
So he goes into the store and he tries to buy a camera, but the guy who was the proprietor of the store, he looks at him and he screams, Shema Yisrael! He was so shocked, he didn't expect to see a Jew in the middle of Lebanon. But sure enough, um, this man closes the shutters and the door of the store. He says, yes, I am Jewish. And um, his his name uh, was, uh, one second, Eliel Luzi. Eliel Luzia. And Eliel Luzia ran this store and had a successful business in Lebanon. And he was a secret Jew. And he, of course, helped the soldiers with the what they needed to purchase. But he said to them, listen, our synagogue is in shambles. We don't have a synagogue anymore. But that's not the real issue. The issue is, is we don't have a mikveh anymore. And people are going to the ocean for over six months because of all the bombing in this in the city. We don't really have an option for women to use. And we need help. So Baruch Marzel said, okay, I'll speak to my superiors. And he spoke to the uh, rabbinate of the army. And unfortunately, the rabbinate couldn't do anything. But then Baruch Marzel is in Lebanon. And who arrives in Lebanon? A mitzvah tank. They, they came with real tanks. Or I don't know which one we call real. Probably the real tanks are the mitzvah tanks. So, and these Chabad men were there, sent by the Rebbe. They wanted to print a Tanya in Lebanon. The Rebbe had um, began a campaign to print a Tanya in every city in the world as a as a school, as a spiritual blessing for the people in the town and for protection of Jewish people. And these this, this group of Chabad Hasidim had arrived in Lebanon and Baruch Marzel meets the Chabad Hasidim. He tells him, you have to meet this guy. He wants to have a mikvah. So according to Rabbi Pe'er's uh, new friend, when they arrived, the first person they met was um, this man's Eliel Luzia's 13-year-old daughter, who later became Rabbi Yaakov's wife. And, she's, and she said to them, we need to have a mikvah here. As 13 years old, apparently that was a talk in the, in the family, and she cried to them, we need to have a mikvah, please help us. We need to have a mikvah. So these Hasidim, they didn't really know uh, what exactly they could do about this. So they went back to Tzvas, and they met with Rabbi Bistritsky, Rabbi Levi Bistritsky, who was the rabbi of Tzvas, and he went with them back to Lebanon to check out the mikvah. So he goes to check out the mikvah, and he discovers that the damage to uh, make the mikvah kosher isn't, isn't significant. It wouldn't be so hard to fix the mikvah. But it would be hard to get, uh, to, you need to get, in order for the mikvah to be kosher, it has to have rainwater. So he goes, and the, where are they get, there's no, it takes, it takes time for the rain to accumulate to create a mikvah. How are they going to do this? I know in, in Los Angeles, um, Mikvah in Santa Monica was built through uh, getting snow, bringing snow with milk crates to put in the mikvah. But what do they do in the middle of Lebanon? Um, how are they going to fill the mikvah? So, first of all, he wrote to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe gave his blessing and instruction yes, they should, they should build the mikvah in Bachmandun. And how are they going to do it? So, he wanted to find out where he could buy um, 200 blocks. Oops.
Yeah, he wanted to he wanted to get two hundred blocks of ice. He wanted to call Lebanon, but if you live in Israel, you can't call Lebanon. Just um, to understand things a little bit, a mikvah is not kosher if it's made out of. You can't use ice and melt ice in a mikvah. But in this situation, where there was no other option, so Rabbi Vistrisky found a halachic method of using blocks of ice to make this mikvah. But the problem was. You need to get the blocks of ice. You needed 200 blocks of ice to create the, um, the, the amount of water they needed for the mikvah to be kosher. So he couldn't call Lebanon directly because you, if you live in Israel, you're going to call Lebanon, like, you're not allowed to call Lebanon. So he called his mother in New York, and his mother in New York made some phone calls, found the yellow pages of Lebanon. You know, there's early 80s. You can't really, can't really Google who sells um, ice in Lebanon. But... She found someone selling ice, and she ordered 200 blocks of ice in the middle of the summertime, and great. So this, these, um, Rabbi Yoslavsky, the um, secretary of the, of, the, of the Chabad rabbinate in Israel, and other rabbis all came to, went, went together back in the mitzvah tank, in this camper that they used to promote and spread mitzvahs of the Torah. And they, on the way back to Bachlandun, to... Um, to to uh, build to fix the mikvah and to bring and to get the blocks of ice and put it in the mikvah. So they come to um, they come to the store, and the owner of the store he says, "Oh, I have two blocks of ice, two blocks of ice. They needed two hundred blocks of ice." So he said, "Well, actually, this lady called me from America. She wanted ice, but I was sure she doesn't know what she's talking about. She probably wanted two hundred ice cubes." Because who wants 200 blocks of ice in the middle of the summer? doesn't make any sense. So he, I mean, he, he didn't have the ice. So they said, we really need the ice. So he told them how they could possibly get ice. And they're running around, you know, driving around Lebanon, trying to find 200 blocks of ice, big blocks of ice. They get the blocks of ice eventually. And they come back to the mikvah. But it's not so simple to put the blocks of ice in the mikvah. And they made this like um, train of people carrying the blocks of ice, Rabbi Wosavsky, to Rabbi Bersutsky, to another boy, and until they got the, all the 200 blocks of ice in the mikvah, and they successfully uh, got it all in, and then Rabbi, Rabbi uh, Bersutsky came back, and he checked it, and he wrote back to the Rebbe, that it's successful, the ice has melted, and the mikvah is now kosher. That's what the Rebbe responded. The Rebbe responded, is there a heater for this mikvah? Listen, there's one woman there, right? There's all this effort for one woman to have a mikvah. Is there a heater in the mikvah? Nebbe said he will take upon himself the expense of heating this mikvah. So, this is the mikvah, mikvah was built, Baruch Hashem, it's all set up. And the family, Eliel Luzi's family, Luzi's family wanted to go for their son's bar mitzvah for the month of Tishrei, to Israel. And it wasn't so simple, even after Israel entered Lebanon, to go from Lebanon to Israel, but with the intervention of the Prime Minister himself, Menachem Begin, they were able to get back into, go to Israel for his, their son, Ben Zion, is their son's name, Ben Zion, his bar mitzvah. And uh, they celebrated it. And at the bar mitzvah, who comes to the bar mitzvah? Of course, Rabbi Rostritsky and his new friends from Chabad, who had built the mikvah for him. Oh, wonderful, they're there for this celebration. And they announced at the Bar Mitzvah that they have a special gift. The Rebbe himself had sent tickets for them to come visit the Rebbe 
for the holidays. They ever wanted this family, Elio, Luzi, and his wife and children to come visit the Rebbe for Simchas Torah. So Rabbi Rasritsky and this family went together to the Rebbe to New York, and the, uh, they, they spent, uh, they came there on Hashanah Rabbah, and Elio brought the Rebbe a gift. His gift was, he brought the Rebbe a, a beautiful Kiddush cup and a uh, silver plate and a bottle of wine as a gift. And he told the Rebbe that he's, he's planning to go back to Bachamdon uh, after, after the holiday. Nebus was very firm and said, no, you should not go back. But he told the Rebbe, I haven't sold my house, I haven't taken anything with me. I forgot to mention, he originally told the Chabad Chassidim, the reason why he lives there is because of his elderly parents, but apparently it was more than his elderly parents, he's also because of his businesses and his investments, and he told the Rebbe, I, you know, I have, I have things there, I have a house there, I haven't sold it, I have belongings there, I, I want to go back. And the Rebbe said, no, do not go back at all. Don't go even to visit, don't sell anything, don't go back there at all, very firmly. Then he told the Rebbe that he has uh, an issue, he like have another child, but he and his wife have an issue. The issue is that his wife needs to have an operation, and this operation will prevent her from ever having, ever having children, but this is a necessary operation, what should they do? And they responded that they should not do the operation at all. They should not, they should not make this operation. Okay. So he and his wife are not, you know, Hasidim, they're not Chabad. Here the Rebbe is giving them, they have two major life issues, and they're just telling them things which are totally against, you know, their natural intelligence of what the right thing to do is. They should go to Bachelon and at least get their stuff. They should. They, they, they were supposed to do an operation, but they didn't really know what to do. And this is the Rebbe, and so, anyways, they went back to Israel. Came back to Israel. They um, they they discovered that there was a massacre in Bachelon. They killed all the Christians in the city. And had they been there, they would have also, God forbid, been massacred as well. So that was the last, they did not go back to that city, they listened to the Rebbe. And a few months later, um, Mrs. Luzi was, became pregnant, miraculously. And this was a real miracle, because for 13 years, they, they shouldn't have any child. And the doctor said that they, should, they, they needed to operate on her. And yet the Rebbe's blessing was fulfilled completely. And Baruch Hashem, uh, they, they had another child. And um, the story is, uh, has many, many different um, layers and meanings and, and things we can learn from the story. One incredible thing that um, hits right home to me is, here is there's one woman who needs a mikvah, and the Rebbe says that all expenses should be, all resources should be invested to help this one woman to have one child. And even though they weren't even going to stay in the city, but this that was a temporary thing. But it says in Tanya, chapter 25, a mitzvah is eternal. A mitzvah is forever. You do one mitzvah, it's not just one mitzvah for one moment. But the mitzvah, it says in Tanya, chapter 25, the bond we have with God, the doing the mitzvah, is something that, that is forever, lasts forever. And as everyone's explained, just like when a child gives a hug and a kiss to his parents, parents cherish it. So to Hashem, so to speak, cherishes this um, the bond we make with Hashem when we do one mitzvah. 
And therefore, okay, it's, it's one woman, one mitzvah. No, it's, it's forever. It's for everything. So coming from Parshas Lechacha, where God tells us to, tells Abraham to leave his father's house and go to the land that God was going to show him, to go off the land of Israel and to leave everything behind, I think this is very um, in sync with the message of the story. Don't go by your rationale and how you feel and what, the, what makes sense. If you have instruction from a tzaddik, what has to get done? So then what may you think and you feel, the tzaddik has a message from God and he's telling you, Time has come for you to go to Israel, leave Bachamdun and wherever it is that you were involved in before. Similarly, Hashem tells us this Shabbos, this Motzei Shabbos from Lechacha, we have to go towards Yisrael, go towards Mashiach, go with the mitzvahs of Hashem. Don't look at what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. Go with joy and happiness. And don't look at mitzvahs and say, this is more important, this is less important. We don't know how to measure mitzvahs. The Talmud says, <laughs> Do not sit and measure the mitzvahs of the Torah. The most weighty mitzvahs and the most light mitzvahs should be equal. Throw away the yardstick. Throw away your, 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 your way of measuring things. Don't go back to Bach Hamdun. Go towards Yushalayim. Go towards Mashiach. Hashem help us all. We should celebrate immediately with Mashiach and Yushalayim. L'chaim, L'chaim. Any questions or comments? That's good. We need to, we need to build more mikvahs. Okay, absolutely. If I don't, I need to build, build mikvahs. We need to get more people to get involved with that. That's right. I'm still living Torah. I'm living Torah is also about building mikvahs. All right. All right. Good to work. Sure to stay this.